BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I've been around a lot of new regimes and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, I think the frustrating part is it takes time to get everyone on the same page. And once you get on the same page, you get the thing rolling and it's churning and it looks great and it's awesome. Um, And we're just, we're right there. Uh, But close doesn't count in this game. And so, uh, frustrating, it is frustrating. I'm human, you know, going through that again. Like seeing, you know, where we were and we got a new regime and all this kind of stuff. But, But I believe in it, you know. I believe in Josh, I believe in our staff. I believe in our players. We got some good football players. We got good. We do some good things. We just didn't do enough good things today. And uh, you know, it sucks uh, what our record is. We've earned that. Um, but I just keep reinforcing that we have a good team. I've been on some teams that aren't as good as this one, and and we're doing the right things. Um, just they made more plays than us at the end. Hey, hey, Derek. Uh, you shouldn't worry about accepting the new regime. You need to be worried at some point about them accepting you. I mean, I'm not trying to be an ass here, but the way that he's expressing himself, it's like, you know, I'm still getting used to these new guys. They're still getting used to you. And if this thing goes completely off the rails and they're in position to draft a franchise quarterback and they've got a device in your contract where they can pull the plug and say, see you later, which is how his latest extension was crafted, that's on the table as this thing goes off the rails and it's not like they're getting blown out. It's not like they're getting embarrassed and there's no team out there that's getting embarrassed every single week. There really isn't, Uh, you know, even the Texans before they had gotten their first win, they weren't getting blown out and the Raiders are in these games. They, they, yeah, it's a work in progress and it's a shame when they have a win in hand and they blow it up 17 and they blow it chance to win late and they blow it and you just have to process it and move on. But you know, remember before the season, we said, Chris, look at the early season stretch for the Raiders. We're going to learn a lot about how quickly they can adapt 
to this new regime because they have tough games right out of the gates, and so far they've managed to win only one of them. Tough games, tough loss last night. You know, blew the lead to the Cardinals with Kyler Murray making some unbelievable plays there, certainly. You know, they're, they are. They are close. They do have a favor. They got the bye week this week. They got a favorable schedule off after that to kind of maybe get back in the swing of things. The Texans, the Saints, the Jaguars, the Colts, the Broncos, the Seahawks. So they're not out of this by any stretch of the imagination. They're not. There's a lot of good things they're doing. They are. You know, they're not a super talented football team. And, Mike, you know the one thing you keep hearing me talk about? And, hey, listen, I like the way Derek Carr's playing good. It's not easy. He's learning a new system that, you know, we've talked about that's got a lot of, you know, it's a totally different way than anything he's been programmed before to handle on the offensive side of the ball. But the one thing I'll continue to lean on a little bit is just the fact, too, that, you know, I know everybody looks at the Raiders and go, well, they made the playoffs last year. They should be a playoff team again. No, it doesn't necessarily work like that. I know they got Devontae Adams. They want to play a totally different style than John Gruden and Gus Bradley defensive coordinator style of football. They do not have guys in there that really work for their scheme yet. So there's got to be a little bit of patience there too. You saw last night, John Gruden wanted to be three receivers, one tight end, and throw the ball all game. You know, Josh McDaniels wants to be New England. He wants to run the ball, dominate the line of scrimmage, run play action pass, be aggressive off the drop back pass game, do that. And then their defense is built on we want to be big and have big people up front and and have a real shutdown cover corner. And they got a defense of small guys who shoot gaps and we play zones because that's how they way they were built the last few years. So they need a little time. That was a really a phenomenal game plan last night by the Raiders. It really was on both sides of the football. And, you know, the, there's the Chiefs. That's why they're the damnedest things ever. They're the damnedest things ever, the Chiefs. I mean, they were really outplayed, outcoached, out of hit in the football game. And there we were going, they're down 17 nothing, and they just gutted out. And then all of a sudden we're there in the fourth quarter, and you're going, man, they're, they're controlling the football game. You know, they were they were outplayed, out hit, out coached, everything, and they just still hang in there. And I think that's the amazing thing. So I guess I'm still saying there's light at the end of the tunnel for the Raiders, but it's just never easy to out the Chiefs. They're unbelievable, they're resilient, and they thrive on the big moment and the big play, and they just never die. They're they're really amazing to watch. Well, and really the the phantom call on Chris Jones sparked the Chiefs. It did, there's you're right. Been commentary about that in the locker room. And you know, the, the Chiefs are that basketball team that is inevitably going to go on an 18-2 to two run. Uh, you know, I, they're going to score their points. The question is, can you score enough before and after the 18-2 to two run to overcome them? And the Raiders almost did it last night. But, you know, how about Kelsey? Kelsey had four touchdown passes. He's the first guy ever to have four touchdown catches of each one being fewer than 10 yards in distance. And, Chris, he had 25 receiving yards and four touchdowns. It reminds me of the old Jerome Bettis stat line. Three carries, minus two yards, three touchdowns. I, it's, I mean, the, the lowest number anybody ever had before last night with four touchdown catches and yardage was like 95. It's so amazing. it's amazing what what Kelsey did, and uh, he's the security blanket. He's the guy that Mahomes knows is going to be open, knows is going to catch the ball, knows is going to get it done. And even without Tyreek Hill, 
They don't miss him because they still got Travis Kelsey. They, well, they do. I mean, he's incredibly instinctive. He's a hell of a player. And then they, they design plays that are, you know, meant for him down there. And then they got a special connection, Mahomes and, and Kelsey. But, you know, that that's where the Chiefs are dangerous. And there's a part of me last night that's watching that game. And I understand, you know, hey, Tyree Kill, they miss him and, and all of that. But at the same time, man, they're still an extremely effective offense. They really are. You see the way they spread the ball around. There is patience in their offense for the first time. You know, consistently, I think, really in the Mahomes era, where you go, hey, they're okay going on a 12-play, 11-play drive every time. You know, that's where Tyreek Hill, I do think, you know, maybe confused things or muddied the waters a little yeah. bit for, for Patrick Mahomes because when Constant he was temptation to exactly throw exactly right so now he's like okay well this is how we got to play I got to pick them apart now I understand they're going to miss Tyree Kill they are they miss that element of the guy that can go deep and I'm not trying to discredit that but at the same time I think they're a w- more of a well-functioning machine as an offense and you can't just pigeonhole them to oh they're going to give him the ball in these big situations and it's really it's amazing really I mean it was a good defensive game plan the Chiefs got whooped really up front on both sides of the football right and the fact that what was it Mike 150 yard rusher 100 yard receiver no turnovers no more than two points for the Raiders and they and two punts excuse me and they lost the football game. That just tells first you how time ever. Uh, yeah, it's first time ever. It tells you how hard it is to beat Kansas City in Kansas City. I'd love to know who's coming up with these very obscure it's amazing stats. stats. It's yeah. like every week there's another one like that. You know, it's the first time ever that this, 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 this happened and a team lost. I don't know what supercomputer is out there where you plug in all these variables, but somebody apparently is in custody of it other than me. The thing about Tyreek Hill. Yeah. You have a guy like that in your offense because he attracts extra attention and opens up the rest of the offense so you can operate the rest of the offense in a more effective way because you don't have guys flooding the zones underneath because you've got two guys always going with Tyreek Hill. So that's your purpose for having a Tyreek Hill. But if you can, without Tyreek Hill, still operate your offense, you don't need that presence. You don't need that guy that's going to draw someone deep. You don't need a guy who runs 4-2 who's going to pull the safety away and keep things open because you know the way you've designed your plays, somebody's going to be open even if they have basically an extra defender because they're not doubling Tyreek Hill. So it works for the Chiefs, and it takes away that temptation for Mahomes to hold the the ball a little bit longer and fire that deep pass, and and it's working. It takes a little more time. It requires a little more patience, but it is working. For the Raiders, you're right. Look, there's this is the this is a challenge for Josh McDaniels yep. going into the bye. Yeah, hit the reset button. Forget about what our record is. We got a long way to go. We got 12 games left. We 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 just got to focus on the next one and the next one and the next one because when one and four becomes two and four becomes three and four, if they yes. can just win two in a row, exactly right. It's it's a different vibe. It's a different feeling. There's always that team that's around 500 at Thanksgiving that finds a way to keep it going. So the urgency that comes out of this, and this is the, this is part of the skill of coaching. How do you motivate your guys based upon whatever it is that happened? How do you motivate them if you win? How do you motivate them if you lose? How do you motivate them if you lose by one point? How do you motivate them if, if you, they lose by 50 points? What do you do to get them to move on 
to the next task. And uh, they have they may have to move on to the next task without Devontae Adams, depending upon what the league office does. But either way, they have shown that they're good enough to win football games. They, they just have to, they have to win more than one out of every five. No, no, it's exactly right. But I think we're, you know, again, we've, we've seen positives. And, you know, the schedule, like you said, is tough early on. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we sat here a month from now and went, hey, look at the Raiders. They're four and four. They're five and four. They've rebounded. Uh, I, I would not be shocked. You know, again, it's it's a lot of things they're getting used to there uh, in Las Vegas right now, and it's it's not necessarily that easy. And you, like you said, it is a tough schedule for sure. So the season's not over, and with that extra set, you know, seventeenth game, it does change the dynamic of being down one and four or being one and four. Doesn't seem as desperate. So I, I'm not counting them out yet. I'm not certainly not, and especially with the way they looked last night. Again, that's a special football team. They're good. They're really good. They're on a mission. Mahomes is playing really good football. You know, now to the Tyreek effect conversation, I wish Mahomes, you know, there, there, there was a few times last night where I, I did go, Ooh, you know, the Raiders got away with playing some man to man coverage. I think about as much man to man coverage and early in the game, we're blitzing and playing man to man to where I go. I don't know if they could do all that. If Tyreek kills there, I don't know if they could. Uh, that might have been something that to look out for for in the future here about what teams do with the with the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe there is going to be an element of a little less fear of playing man to man. Maybe the Raiders kind of cracked that code last last night. I'm going to be interested to see because there was a lot of plays, Mike, where it was man to man, and they looked like they had an extra guy or two in the middle, kind of going. We're looking for Kelsey or a crosser or, hey, you're man-to-man on Kelsey. You got him on the – if he breaks outside, I got, a, got him if he comes in here. And then there was nobody else to scare them and get open down the field that way too. Just something to look out for that, that certainly jumped out to me last night because, you know, again, we, we watched that game. There wasn't many deep shots down the football field for the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, that's different watching them play this style of football. And here's the reality, five games in post-Tyree Kill, this is when enough film is, is accumulated That's to right, too. really do a right. deep dive and scout and what works and what doesn't. And it's incumbent on the Chiefs to self-scout themselves and stay ahead of whatever the Bills may be picking up. That's the big game that's coming Sunday. Bill, what, a, what an afternoon. Bills, Chiefs into Cowboys at Eagles. And one last point on the Raiders. I think 10-7 and seven is realistic looking at the rest of their schedule because there's only three games left where I say – they're probably screwed. And and one of them is the Rams. And who knows about that one? Uh-huh. Because when the when the Raiders go back to LA, that's another home game. So uh, maybe there's only two more games where I say they're possibly screwed and that's the last two games of the year both at home, 49ers and Chiefs. All the other games are winnable and anytime I say every game is winnable, my point is you're looking at it saying this is a game they could win and maybe should win. And maybe based upon what we've seen through five weeks, even though they're one and four, maybe they will win a lot of these games and pull their way back into it. But that's the task for Josh McDaniels. Get them believing. Forget about the first five games. Let's focus on the next 12, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, and maybe they can pull themselves back into it. All right, first five games did not go well for the Panthers, and that resulted in a coaching change. We'll talk about David Tepper's decision to move on from Matt Rule when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Uh, these days are never easy. Um, you know, it's very human um, times in a very public way. Um, had a conversation with the coach this morning. It was short, cordial. He's a gentleman, a true gentleman. Look, there's uh, numerous reasons why you make a decision like that. Ultimately, I felt this was a time. Listen, as I said, there's numerous reasons uh, why you, you know, make a decision. Um, there might have been a little bit of loss of intensity on the field yesterday. I would say that's uh, probably evident versus the first four games. Um, you know, I, listen, I have great respect for the fans, and I do hear the fans. But ultimately, those that can't be a reason why you make a change like this. But again, there's numerous reasons why you make a change like this. You know, we have the record we have. And, uh, you know, again, there's different reasons that uh, go into that. Um, you know, I think that there has been progress um, of some sort. But look, we're just not getting over the hump. David Tepper yesterday afternoon explaining his decision to fire Matt Rule. My big takeaway from David Tepper's press conference, really rich people don't like to have to answer questions from anyone, especially people who aren't really rich like them. And that one thing he said about the fans, listening to the fans, that can't be a reason. There are many reasons, but listening to the fans, are you kidding me? They're your customers. They're the ones who are putting their asses in the seats. He talked about that. How many of the asses in the seats had red on, not blue. The stadium was overrun by 49ers fans. Your fans are your financial lifeblood. You want them to be happy. You want them to be engaged. Now, I'm not saying you let them set the agenda, but don't act like it's not a factor at all. There are many factors, but we don't care what the peasants think. That was the attitude that I got from the guy. No, I, I don't. I don't know why. I don't. I didn't feel like that. He didn't say that. He just said, "Hey, listen." He we're, did. He said, he said "We're sensitive to the what fans." The fans think well, can't you be know a what he meant. He it can't, can't let them factor. run the team. I mean, if you listen to the fans, everybody that can't Bill be Belichick would have been fired the week after he won a Super Bowl because he made it. I mean, fans are overreactive. They, 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 they. It's constant. So it has yeah, to that's be a factor. It can't not be a factor. He he said it's it not a, a factor. It is a factor. He fired the freaking guy in week five. He listened, Mike. Don't get mad at him for reasons. that. I'm not listening to the peons that pay for He just saying he's not going to let them run beer. the show. That's all he was trying you, to say you there. You heard it differently than I did. I did. I You're getting way said. too literal. Literal. I there. heard way what he too. actually said. You need to watch the whole press conference. He, he's got a little attitude. There's a little attitude. I think, hey, look. So, sorry, sorry, sorry that I'm not ready to defend the billionaire. Who will ever defend the billionaire? I think he was a little, there was an attitude that came through that was not helpful. And, and somebody said, well, at least he talks, unlike Dan Snyder. Well, you know what? If you're going to talk and it's going to make it worse, it's better to not talk. And, and we do criticize the owners who run and hide in moments like this, so it's good that he made himself available, but we still reserve the right to criticize and analyze and scrutinize what he said. But the bottom line is, Matt rules out. And I felt this coming. I felt it coming. And there was a business reason to do it that he's not going to talk about, Chris. The business reason is this. If I fire this guy now, if I already know he's going to be gone, 
If I fire him now, I put him in play for multiple college jobs. And maybe he will leverage that situation into getting himself a massive contract that reduces what I owe him. Sure, right. That is a factor. That, and it, it, it's probably unseemly for him to talk about it himself. He'll let us talk about it on his behalf. But that's why you do it now. Because now all those other colleges where he's very well suited to being successful, so successful in college yeah. that an NFL owner actually thought he could be successful in the NFL. He'll go back to the college level. He'll turn somebody around. He'll be great. And you put him out there now, and maybe you save most, if not all, of whatever you owe him over the next five years. I, I would think that's a huge part of it. I mean, that, I think, you know, that, the fact that, you know, I don't disagree, that I feel like there's a little belief that's gone from the football team, and they're kind of like a beaten-down puppy that way. And, hey, you get started on – you can do your due diligence and take your time on candidates here that you might want to coach your team in the future. I think there's a lot of positives about doing that. But I think your point there is, like, the most real one. Yeah, Matt Rule, from everything I know, if John, if Jim Harbaugh took the Vikings job last year, Matt Rule was going to be one of the number one candidates to be the head coach of Michigan. So if he wants to jump into this college football thing again like you're talking about, yeah – He's gonna. He's going to be able to. He's been su extremely successful, extremely, and I would think that takes a big chunk of that nine million dollar a year per salary away. Oh. right off the bat, maybe at all. Look at You're what right. they're paying the college coaches You're now. Right. Look so, at what they're paying them: ten, fifteen million a year. Yeah, so uh, I get that, but I understand them firing him too. I do think we've gotten to a point there where you know it. it we've seen enough. I got respect for Matt Rule, but it doesn't seem like they ever got over the hump or turned the corner or whatever you want to say there. And the biggest reason being just the way their offense is played. That's really where he dropped the ball more than anything. The lack of the ability to find an offensive mind or an offensive coordinator that could be creative on that side of the football and the lack of you know being able to find a quarterback that also the fan base can latch on to. And, you know, I think between those things right there and just a bad win-loss record, that's why he's out the door now. And I, I, we, we have other clips from Tepper we want to play, but I want to ask you something. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of how many college coaches have come to the NFL and been successful other than Jimmy Johnson. And, and let's just focus on recent. Let's focus on Urban Meyer, Matt Rule, Cliff Kingsbury. I, I really do believe that – the guys who come from college who don't have extensive NFL experience just don't even know how to begin the week in and week out, game in and game out grind of having a system but constantly tinkering to stay ahead of what the opponent is doing. Whether you're getting ahead of what they're doing and spotting their tendencies and cracking their code or you're guarding your system against your code being cracked. Remember there was the stuff from Dan Orlovsky a few weeks ago about where Christian McCaffrey lines up in shotgun. When he's a step back, it's a run. When he's even with the quarterback, it's an RPO or a pass. And Rule bristled at that. It made me wonder, is he even aware of his own tendencies? Is he even self-scouting? Like, I don't get the impression they do that nearly as much at the college level as they do at the NFL level. And I just can't help but wonder... Chris, whether the Kingsbury's, the rules, the Urban Myers of the world just don't even have it on their radar screen is something they need to be obsessed about week in and week out. I, 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 Mike, I don't think you're far off here. I think that's a very real, tangible thing you're talking about. 
It's what you're saying is lack of week to week game plan specific stuff on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, in college, yes. you could just have your core of plays and really for the most part of the year you just go, Oh, wait, this team plays quarters. All right, we'll go to this part of the core of plays. Oh, this team plays Tampa too. Well, we'll just go to this play this play. And the NFL, it's just not that easy. In the NFL, you could be playing a team that goes, wait, they're playing Tampa 2 on this side, and they're playing man-to-man over here. Or they're playing cover 3 over here, and they're playing cover 2 over here. So you can't just go, oh, my core of plays will work. And I think that's what you're specifically talking about, and that's what we talk about with Cliff Kingsbury. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You're right. There's a lack of an element of like, ooh, what exactly are they attacking? It just seems like they call plays. And, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you, Mike, there, that there's an element of that. That's, that's why the college game is different than the NFL game. The NFL game is way more tactical, way more cerebral, way more situational. And, of course, there's no 20-hour rule. So there's lots of time to put in crazy defenses. And these are professionals who are living this. And the smartest guys on your college teams are the ones that are in the NFL playing football. So uh, I, I think that's a very real element that you bring up for sure. I remember when, when Rich Rodriguez was coaching at West Virginia, we went to all the games, and he had like five plays. That's right. Right. And, but But his guys – were faster than the other guys. So it didn't matter. You could walk up to the line of scrimmage and say, hey, here's what we're doing on this play. Try to stop us. And, and that's the thing. You don't have that talent differential at the NFL level. No. The talent is so compressed. You've got to have the maniacal Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, guy that's working all night long in the laboratory, studying, studying, studying. Where do I get my edge? How do I plan for this? How, how are they going to attack this? And uh, I've... I, I'm hard-pressed to think of many college coaches in the past 30 years that have been successful other than Jimmy Johnson. Well, no, and Jimmy they're, they're, Johnson, to your point, you know, he wasn't that guy really a whole lot. He had North Turner that helped him, but they were a little bit in just like, hey, we're going we're gonna to be, you know, the basics. We're going to out-hit you, out-physical you. And they di- I don't mean to discredit them. They did have game plan specifics too. But, you know, I, I think what you're talking about is very real here, Mike, and you see that. There was a lack of recognition, I think, of that aspect from Matt Rule. I think there was. I mean, you know, Joe Brady, college offensive coordinator. Okay, what did we talk about? I mean, we were in week four last year, and you heard me saying, right? Damn, they don't do anything. It's the second quarter, and I've seen this play seven times already. So you don't think the defense of the other team's kind of ready for it, right? And then you get – then you – the year's over, and, I mean, I don't know. You hire the guy that everybody said the same damn thing about him with the New York Giants. Hey, there's nothing to the offense. It's basic. It's the second quarter. I've seen this play eight times already. So you're going, well, here we go, part two. I don't, you know, and we got the same results. We got the same shitty offense the second year in a row in Carolina. And I feel bad for Baker Mayfield because people are going to look at him and go, oh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. And I'm going to go, no, as we, we've talked, when there's crap around you and you're around crap, you're going to smell like crap too, and that's unfortunate. You know, and here um, we are. Yeah, it's year five for Baker Mayfield, and what is this? You know, his fourth coaching offensive coordinator. It's just that's where I feel for Baker a little bit in this situation. I know hey, he's hurt, you know but what? I just give him hey, a little love. Well, well, he he should he should have just stayed in Cleveland then and taken his nineteen plus million and said, "I'm not cutting my salary for four million. He chose to go to that spot. Somebody should have told him, Baker, 
this probably isn't going to end well for you. You're going to a coach who's clearly on the hot seat with an offensive coordinator who's a failed former head coach, but the coach on the hot seat can't hire anybody better because anybody better is not going to go there because he knows everybody's job is riding on what he does the first five weeks of the season. Case in point, the coach got fired. So Baker never should have gone there. Baker should have just said, my salary's fully guaranteed at $19 million plus. I'm staying here. Deal with me. You want to cut me? Cut me. But I'm staying here. And if I have to take a year off, so be it. Deshaun Watson took a year off, and he got a $250 million contract on the back end. I know Watson more accomplished than Baker Mayfield, but I think it's better to not play at all, Chris, than to have a bad year of film the teams are going to have to parse through and justify to their fans if they're going to make Baker Mayfield their starting quarterback come 2023. All right, the coach of the Carolina Panthers moving forward, Steve Wilkes. I don't know whether that's a reward or a punishment to be the coach of the Carolina Panthers for the final 12 games of the season. Here's David Tepper on what Steve Wilkes can do to become the permanent head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Um, there's a lot of season left, and we'll see how the season goes. Um, ultimately, he's you know in a position to be in consideration for that position. I had a talk with Steve. No promises were made, and uh, but obviously, if he does an incredible job, he's have to be in consideration for that. Yeah, good luck. I mean, what is an incredible job? Going 500 over the final 12 games? It's all relative to the crap that's around you, and. I feel bad for Steve Wilkes, and and this is one of the elements of the Wilkes-Flores-Horton lawsuit against the NFL, that minority coaches get stuck in spots like this, where they rack up a bunch of losses. It's a no-win situation. He's already 3-13 and because he got, he got strapped with a crap team in Arizona and then was made to be the fall guy after one season. Now he's going to have 12 games added to his permanent record, and if he wins four of them, it will be considered quite an accomplishment. So I, it's not like he could have said no. I mean, he gets to be an NFL head coach for 12 games, and he gets a fair opportunity to go out and win. But he's in a tough spot, Chris. Very tough. This is not going to help him become a head coach in Carolina or anywhere else for that matter. No, I mean, it's almost to the same point you just talked about with Baker Mayfield. You might be better off just saying, forget it. Don't do it to me. You know, unless he just feels like, you know what, I'm never going to get that opportunity and here's my chance and maybe I can, you know, make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what. I mean, that's the only thing I can, you know, think of there, but it is a very tough situation. He is a defensive coach. Maybe he can add some things to the defensive side of the ball again because, you know, they fired the defensive coordinator for a lot of the same reasons we talk about with Matt Rowland you brought up. Lack of game plan specific, not doing enough stuff there, right? So... You know, maybe he can show everybody what a great defensive mind he is and open up some eyes that way. But, yeah, you're right. It's These are situations that traditionally that we look at and go, there are no win situations for the guy that takes over. It's really tough. And it, it's few and far between that the, the guy takes over like this and we see success down the road or him get a chance because of this to be a head coach somewhere else. And remember, Matt Rule came in as basically the guy in charge. He was given a lot of power, yes, a was. lot of influence, and ultimately he hired the general manager. Scott Fitterer is there now. He survives. David Tepper was asked about Fitterer's future. Here's what Tepper had to say. You know, it's a little bit premature to ask those questions. You know, um, Scott is our GM. There's no, no thought of mine right now. Right now, uh, my focus is 
is is uh, is Wilkes and helping him have success in a new role. Yeah, that's not the kind of endorsement that Scott Fitter is probably looking for. It's premature to ask the questions whether or not the GM is going to be back next year. That's not good for Fitterer. And it's not a surprise because you may hire a coach that wants to be fully in control. And if you're only going to get that guy by letting him be fully in control, and if it is Sean Payton, which I don't think they're ever going to be able to pull off because they're not going to get him away from the Saints. The Saints are going to want too much for him. Payton's not going to be interested without a clear shot to a franchise quarterback uh, unless David Tepper throws so much money at Payton that he can't say no. But that would be an example of a guy who comes in and says, I want to be in charge and I want to hire my own people. So for now, Tepper just has to wait and see what he's going to do about hiring a head coach. And maybe he wants to go out and get a GM who hires the coach. He's got a lot of different ways he can go. Yeah. And he hasn't done this many times. And the one time he did it, he screwed it up. He never should have hired Matt Rule and never should have given him full control of the football operation. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think I mean, that's, that's certainly easy to say now. And you're right. I mean, that was a huge shocking moment when they hired him anyways with the amount of money. He was a hot commodity. And I think he was afraid that the Giants were probably going to steal him. So he gave him a contract that he felt like the Giants wouldn't match, right? I think if we go back in history, that's, that's kind of what happened, right? So Phone call was made, and John Mara said, no way in hell. Right, no right. way in hell. Exactly right. So we'll see where this goes with, with Scott Fitterer. I, I will say this. I don't look at the team itself, the roster, and go, oh, that's the big glaring problem to me. I, I don't. You know, again, I think we hit on the problems a little bit. You know, the, the inability to get the offensive coordinator right was really, to me, the biggest issue with this football team. And I know the defensive coordinator and the head coach got fired, but it still starts there for me. And because I don't look at it, Mike, I go, okay, hey, like we've talked about. You know, receivers, pretty good. We got McCaffrey, right? The O-line's a little bit of an issue. Their D-line has got some talent there. There's some things to look at. Their secondary has talent and things to look at. So that's where it'll be interesting for Scott Fitterer because I do think like football minds or whoever that next head coach might come and might go, oh, I, I, there's a lot of positives about this roster to where you, you might think twice about getting rid of a, a Scott Fitterer if you're in the new head coach. Two quick points. Our friend Darren Gant, who works for the Panthers, yeah. asked David Tepper the very delicate question of balancing winning versus setting yourself up for a high draft pick, right? and David Tepper realizes the first rule of tank club is never talk about tank <laughs> club. So you have to say you're always going to try to win. And, and some would say you have to have that winning culture in your building, that it's antithetical to the idea of ever trying to have a winning team if you're going to deliberately lose games and not put your players in the best position to win. But still, they don't have a winning culture. Now's the time to do it before you hire a coach. If it does help position you to get a better coach, too. You can say to Sean Payton, I got the first overall pick in the draft. We can draft whatever quarterback you want. That could be an attraction. Second point, Chris, you mentioned McCaffrey. Yeah. There's already chatter that your boy Blue is going to have a new teammate. Now, who knows what's going to happen? There's conflicting reports, and we see those conflicting reports all the time. But, boy, Christian McCaffrey to Buffalo, if that would happen. And this is their opportunity, Chris, to go all in. F them picks. You want to win the Super Bowl? You go get Christian McCaffrey and add him to Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen and Gabe Davis. It'd be, I mean, I saw some of that. It would be amazing. It makes sense for what they want to do. I mean, again, you got to worry about Josh Allen throwing bombs. I mean, 424 yards off of 20 completions. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a stat line like that. What? 
20 yards per completion? That's insane. And now you want McCaffrey working underneath? That's where it's amazing. You know, again, it's a lot of money, and it's risky with, with, with McCaffrey. I'd be no more risky, one no risky. Of, I Well, I know, but I'd be more one of the Bills where I'd go, I'd like to see him add another receiver more than the running back aspect of it. But nonetheless, you know, sometimes beggars can't be choosers, and they need another weapon on their offensive side of the ball. I do believe that. I think getting McCaffrey would have the same effect on the Bills as the Vaughn Miller OBJ thing last year from the Rams. And what did it do? It sputtered at first, and then it took off. Right. All right. Speaking of sputtering, the Washington Commanders, Ron Rivera had something to say yesterday that created some waves and got a little blowback from a former Commanders quarterback last night on the ESPN pregame. We'll talk about that one. PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Why do you think the teams in the division are farther ahead at this point? Quarterback. Is that... I mean, with quarterback, like the Cowboys, for instance, they're, they don't have Dak Prescott this season and still have been able to well, they win. Started with, well, they, they started, started with, with them, Dak, but they've... And they built around Dak, and the offense is built around Dak. Um, their backup's a, a guy that is very solid inside of it, inside of what they do. Um, and the truth is that, that this is a quarterback-driven league. And if you look at the teams that have been able to sustain success, they've been able to build it around a specific quarterback chose the quarterback here though so do you have any regrets about that or how do you no i got no regrets about that quarterback i think our quarterback has done some good things there's been a couple games that he struggled um but you look at his numbers from yesterday and he was okay look at his numbers he's had throughout the year there was a time he was you know um very solid and then um you know we had the unfortunate philadelphia game and he struggled a little bit in the dallas game but the way he performed yesterday it just shows you what he's capable of and you know, we chose him because we believe him. We chose him because we looked at what we felt were, were, were things that pointed towards him. We chose him because we believe in him, but he's the reason why we can't compete with these other three teams in the division that are all either 5-0 and or 4-1. and I mean, look, Ron Rivera was as tactful as he could be, and maybe this is one of those topics where you leave it for others to articulate it. You don't do it yourself. But it was stunning to see him single out the quarterback position and put it on Carson Wentz when they did choose Carson Wentz and they had other routes they could have gone. But, you know, as it materialized in the offseason, there really weren't a bunch of quarterbacks popping up for teams to jump on. Jimmy Garoppolo had the surgery that took him out of the mix. Russell Wilson wasn't going to Washington. They tried to get Russell Wilson. He wasn't going to go there. He was going to Denver, just like Matthew Stafford wasn't going anywhere but L.A. last year. And until that organization improves to a point where it becomes an attractive destination, if they're looking for veteran quarterbacks, they are going to get the guys who just happen to be hanging around with no place else to go, Chris. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I can't lie. I'm, I'm a little shocked by the comments. I really am. I mean, I, I, I'm going to take the side of, like, Alex Smith, rather what he talked about. I know we're going to play that in a minute, but, like, I, I find them kind of BS. It's kind of BS. I really do. I think it's 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 really you're fueling a narrative or perception there because it benefits you right now. So you can kind of do it. You know, there we are. Their defense isn't really worth a damn. They got five first rounders in the front seven and he's a defensive coach and they're they're not really worth a damn, all right? They can't run the football. Carson Wentz is not their problem. I mean, has he been perfect? No. 
They have no offensive line. They get totally overrun constantly. I mean, we're sitting there every Sunday going, oh, man, Carson Wentz, and I know it's not perfect, but he's certainly not the number one problem with that football team. He's not. So uh, that's where I'm shocked by it. And then to say it's the difference between the NFC East, I mean, the Cowboys, you know, they went a number of games, you know, last year without Dak Prescott, the year before they went without him. They're not even playing to the style of football they play with Dak Prescott. We've discussed this. So, therefore, the groundwork is, you know, when he tries to say, well, he was there and, you know, they were built through that. Okay, well, they're playing a different way. You're going to tell me the, the Giants and Daniel Jones – it's about the quarterback. That that's now Daniel Jones is is a cement and a and a pillar of the Giants organization. What? Like get well, so that's happening now? And then Philadelphia, the place that's tried to replace their quarterback the last two off seasons? Like that's it's just a it's it's BS. I'm throwing the challenge flag on all of it. He's a scapegoat. It's 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 not fair. You know, and I don't know, maybe Carson Wentz is just a horrible teammate, and he already sees that, and I don't know. Maybe there's something there more to this. But to make those comments and make it all about him when I could go, there's like six, seven other issues on their football team that I look at before I get to Carson Wentz being the issue, that's when I have a problem with it. So I kind of find that BS challenge flag there from Ron Rivera. It reminds me of the scene in Meet the Parents when Ben Stiller, a.k.a. Fokker, shows up with the green rental car and Robert De Niro says, oh, it's green. Did you pick it? No, they gave it to me. Oh, the geniuses picked green, but you didn't pick it. Well, idiots picked Carson Wentz, and you picked him. That's, I mean, you picked him, Ron Rivera. So you're complaining about the guy five games in that you picked. And again, beggars can't be choosers when your organization is the most dysfunctional in the entire NFL. And the harder they try to be indignant about we're not dysfunctional anymore, hey, guess what? Yes, still are dysfunctional. And this is another example of it. And I say that as a card-carrying member of the Ron Rivera fan club. So you know if you've lost me, or at least you're teetering on the brink of losing me, it's getting pretty bad in Washington right now. But they picked him and they talked him up and I know that's what you do but I remember when he joined the team I said hey if anybody's ever going to get the best version of Carson Wentz it's Ron Rivera because he's going to get it behind closed doors and he's going to say look buddy this is it for you this is your last chance no one may have ever spoken to you like this before but I'm going to you either get it done here or you are done so here's what you need to do to be successful based upon everything I've seen I've read I've heard you need to do this, 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 and maybe he's just not doing it, Chris. Maybe that's why he's kind of at his wit's end. If that's, that's, that's what I sensed. It was a very calm effort to express to the world, I'm at my wit's end with Carson Wentz already. Well, maybe it is. And, again, that, that, that's where maybe I'm missing something. We know there was, again, there's issues with him in Philadelphia. We know there was issues in, in Indianapolis. And – you know, I, I think we're pretty sure that out of Doug Peterson, uh, you know, the Jim Irsay and, and, and Chris Ballard, that we think two out of the three definitely wanted him out of there, and there was no way he was going to be the quarterback. So there was obviously something they don't like. And maybe that's still real. Maybe he is, you know, just that guy, and he's just not a good locker room guy and not a good leader of your football team. I still don't agree with the comments of you throwing him under the bus like that right. to a degree and opening the floodgates there. You know, that, is that the real, the good thing we're going to do here to build the team and the confidence going forward is now open up Pandora's box? Yep, she's in there, and here come the questions. And it's all everybody's going to talk about now all week. 
And it, to me, it doesn't hold water, too, when you compare it to the rest of the NFC East. What? The quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback? No. The quarterbacks have been below average until this year in the NFC East. So that's not the reason. And there hasn't been great continuity there in that moment. So I just I don't, I don't agree with it at all. I think it's the wrong message to send to your football team or the media or your fan base. This is one of those days where we need a bigger show, and we are way behind on time. But the reality is the show ends when it ends. We'll say as much as we can. But i got to say one more thing. If yeah. you really feel that way about Carson Wentz, put Sam Howell in. Let's see the guy from North Carolina who looks like John Belushi. Let's get him under center because I think that would create some excitement, and then you'd find out whether or not maybe he's the guy. And you don't have to keep careening around looking for a veteran who's going to come in and try to make this mess in Washington better. We'll be back with more PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, right after this. Okay, so we reached out to the NFL for some clarification on the key question that was raised by John Perry last night in the second half of the Raiders-Chiefs game. Should this have been, even if we can't do anything about the penalty, can't be reviewed, should this have been Chiefs ball before the roughing the passer happened. The league's position is that it is not a post-possession foul, even though the foul happens, wait for it, post-possession. So the league says it's one continuous motion and that the protection exists all the way through going to the ground, even though Chris Jones takes the ball away from Derek Carr and was actually technically being tackled by Derek Carr at that point. I don't buy that. And I just think Chris, they've never no, encountered this is. before. Right, right. And I could see the rules changing at some point, Right, the language, even changed. though it'll probably never happen again. I think that this should be regarded as, and there's a chance that strict application of the rule book would come to this conclusion that it really should be chiefs ball. The foul happens after the Chiefs get possession of the ball, so the foul is attached to the end of the play, which is the Chiefs in possession of the ball. I think that's what it should be. The league's position is no, but that conveniently excuses the failure of someone to review that play in the moment and say, hey, that should be Chiefs football 15 yards from there. Yeah, I I think – you know, I think you're right that it's probably a, a, a consequence that they never really thought of that they're going to have to deal with here. So that that might have to be some language that's corrected. But I, I understand, you know, I understand the rule as stated in the fact that, yeah, it's still the quarterback unprotected in the pocket and he's still, you know, unprotected and in the process of throwing the football which all the roughing the passer rules apply in that situation. So I, I, I do get that. I do. I, I, I'm, I'm just getting to get back to the old basics of I don't like the cause at all in general anyways. And the protection of the quarterback has gone too far to where the NFL has to step in a little bit here and tell the referees to back off a little bit here because it's gone too far. It really has. It's gotten ridiculous. But I can understand their position on that, at least as far as what they explained to you there via text. I, I, but I, I, I don't. I don't because Chris Jones had the ball before he landed on Derek Carr. And we've seen those plays where, you know, the, the and this is the best example. It's the hit to the head or neck area of a defenseless receiver 
after the ball is intercepted by another defender. We've seen that. Right. The flag That's comes good, out, and you example. think, oh, they're going to they're gonna wipe out the interception. Right. If the hit comes after the interception, the interception counts. If the hit comes before the interception, the interception doesn't count. So, in this case, the fumble was recovered. The ball was taken away from Derek Carr before the foul occurred. But what they're saying is it's all one continuous motion that culminates in roughing the passer. So once it begins, right, you have to let it play if out. If you take the ball while it's happening, it's really not. I guess the only apples to apples comparison would be you get the ball away from Derek Carr and then you drive him into the ground. And then at that point, it's unnecessary roughness, not roughing the passer because he doesn't even have the ball when he starts into the. I guess I'm talking myself into understanding it. I don't want to understand well, it's it. Tough. It's tough. I want, right. I want someone to be blamed for what happened last night, but but maybe. Maybe it makes sense. It, it, I, I think it does make sense. I, I do. Or at least they're going to have to maybe, you know, make an adjustment to, to the rule itself. And, and maybe they do change it. I mean, to your point with the interception, post-possession foul, all of that, you know, it, it is an interesting discussion. But, you know, as it is written right now, yeah, I, I understand it. It's still the continuation of the act of throwing the football and then the body weight on to the quarterback. Again, I just think it's too much. And that's the biggest problem I have for sure. Kind of like the tuck rule, but uh, that's gone now. So we're gone for a minute or two. We'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, right after this. Baker Mayfield, Panthers quarterback, has a high ankle sprain. He's expected to miss at least a couple of games. That means P.J. Walker will be the starter this weekend when the Panthers take on the Rams. The Rams are the big winners from Monday. They get this Panthers team that is in turmoil now at a time when the Rams desperately need a They're victory. In turmoil, right. The schedule fell for them just right. And it's P.J. Walker, who has done some decent things at the NFL level, used to go by Phillip, went to the AAF or the USFL and did well there and earned his way back into the NFL. He right. has that existing relationship with Matt Rule, that's how he got on the roster in the first place. He was at Temple, I think, with Rule. Yes, and, right. And, uh, you know, it's it's not ideal. Sam Darnold's still injured. Baker Mayfield's now injured. And and this is just going to be a long 12 games for the Panthers to kind of limp to the finish line and figure out where they go from here, Chris. Yeah, well, this is what happens when you have a bad offense, a bad offensive system, not a great offensive line. I mean, the quarterback seems to get hurt a lot. I mean, that's just an issue that they've they've had to deal with there in Carolina a little bit. But, yeah, that's a tough situation and a blessing, like you said, to the Rams. The Rams are in Strugglesville. Uh, they're not playing great football. We know that. You know, the fact that they get to, hey, P.J. Walker hasn't played, that's, a, that's big for them. It is a big advantage, and we'll see where they go from here. Carolina's certainly fighting an uphill battle. Miles Simmons makes the case, and I like it. Just bring back Cam Newton. It'll get the fans excited. They'll come out to the games and – can't be a whole lot worse than what they currently have. I don't even know if he'd want to do it at this point. We're done. See you Wednesday. See ya.
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.